From across the Midwest, this is Opinions Anonymous, your new favorite podcast. If you can't get enough of us, check us out online at opinionsanonymous.com. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and remember, everyone has an opinion. Ours are just better. Hello, and welcome to episode 13 of Opinions Anonymous. This was supposed to be episode 12, but Luke wanted to sneak an extra episode in this week, so we had to rethink our game plan. So just off the cuff, here we are tonight. I'm Rookie. With me is Joe. Joe, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Rookie? I'm doing better than the rest of the cast that all canceled on us tonight because they all have better things to do. But you know what? Even though we don't have a lot of people here, we still have emails from our loyal listeners. So let's get into emails. You have an email. Our first email, Bruce from Gotham. I don't know who that could be. Writes in to say that Costco is now selling a 27-pound bucket of mac and cheese, complete with 180 individual servings, and it's said to last 20 years. He wants to know if we could do this as a food challenge. What do you think? Well, the answer to that is yes, but I don't know what the parameters would have to be. We'd either have to invite a lot of people or it would have to be over a long period of time. I guess we have 20 years to get it done. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking, what, so 180, when we're at full, we have eight cast members. It's only 22 and a half servings a piece. I mean, think about it, like a box of mac and cheese. I guarantee you could down a box of Kraft Easy Mac if you wanted to. Because it's one of those things, you know, that's it's just just not enough for two people, but it's just too much for one. Um, but I think that's intended to be four servings. So you could do one of those. So just do five boxes of that. Yeah, I think we can do it. Oh, it's, it's a challenge. I mean, if it would be easy, it would be a challenge, right? Oh, right. Um, so I guess I think there should be two things to this challenge. One, we need to figure out how long we get to eat it. And then we need to figure out how many, like, if someone gets a prize for the longest time for not taking a shit after getting clogged up with that much mac and cheese. Yeah, I'll let you figure out the second part of that. Well, then that means you're figuring out the first. How long do you think it'd take you to down 22 servings of mac and cheese? 22 ser. well, oh, it, would, it would take a while. I feel like it would be like when we did the uh, chicken nugget challenge where you hit that wall, like, 80% of the way there. Yeah, I do remember the chicken nugget challenge, which fortunately we never, uh, we haven't let our listeners know about that live in person because it was fucking terrible. But you were much more of a champ about it than I was. I, th- I think I complained a lot more. Uh, wh- what did we get? We got 43 minutes, 47 minutes, something like that. I think we all had it done. Me, you, and Alex did it all. We, we did 50 chicken nuggets and an hour was the challenge. And that was based off of what Luke, Adam, and help me with the name. They were trying to get a hundred and yeah, they're trying to get a hundred. And well, I think Adam got 50 and so it led to a discussion. So we tried to do 50 in an hour. Yeah, and, and just to remind everyone, Luke got 26, like 26 and tapped out. Like he didn't even try past that. 26. I ate that for lunch one day. I'm pretty sure I might have witnessed that. <laughs> no, so like like on that, you get to you get to twenty and it's whatever, thirty. All right, I'm full. Forty. 
I'm uncomfortable and like each like each nugget just got bigger and bigger and bigger it seemed and like had to force down those last 10 like I didn't complain much because I was too miserable to even complain no I just think like the the mac and cheese I think would sit even heavier in you than the than the chicken nuggets well, so what if we did this? What if we uh, combined it with, you know, hot dogs and made us a good old Kevin hot dog and mac and cheese smoothie? Do you think it'd go down easier then? No, I think it would come up easier. <laughs> but with the chicken nugget, speaking of come up or come out, um, the chicken nugget challenge, which was worse? The feeling immediately after you ate them and just had that log sitting in your stomach or later the smell of them leaving your body. Like which one was worse? Definitely the first. Like just that lump of food just sitting in your belly. I, I can honestly say that's the first time I passed out in a food coma. I I went right to sleep on the couch, just cuddled right next to Alex. It was awesome. Well, not awesome. I felt fucking terrible, but you know. <laughs> it wasn't too long after that I uh, was having a dinner with a group of people and one of them said, oh, I am stuffed. I can't possibly eat another bite. And I'm like, bitch, you don't know what not being able to eat another bite feels like. Bitch, please. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> especially when you have that number in mind, right? And I am glad that uh, we we counted those out because what we ended up out of the 150 nuggets that I brought from Burger King, we ended up with what, like 162 it was six more than what we were supposed to have. Yeah, it was 156, so I'm glad we counted. Yeah, I we, sh- we should have found a way to get Alex to eat those. And then been like, well, I don't know why you're so miserable. <laughs> but I, I will not forget the guy's face when I pulled up to the drive-thru because I thought I was doing them a favor. And I did the mobile ordering and said, okay, well, I'm going to order 15 10-piece nuggets because they're only a dollar. And... um so I I ordered them thinking that, okay, that meant that they were going to start the food, but they don't actually still cook it until you get to the drive-thru. So I don't understand the whole concept of the mobile ordering. But I get there and the guy at the first stop where uh, like the cashier or whatever, he's he just looked at me and he's like, did you really order 150 nuggets? I'm like, yeah, had a, have a challenge with some buddies. Like I wasn't trying to make anything up. And he just looked at me and started laughing. He's like, they fucking hate you in the back right now. Because, but that is one way to ensure you get uh, fresh chicken nuggets because they don't keep that many in stock. That coated in fresh spit. Yeah. Um, so I, But I, I pulled up to the next window knowing very well that they wouldn't be ready. And the guy just looked at me like, uh, you had 150 nuggets. I said, yeah, do I need to pull forward because there's some cars behind me? And he's like, yeah, that'd be great. And the guy that brought them out to me, like his face almost looked disgusted as he just like heaved this bag of chicken nuggets into my car, followed by a bag of nothing but sauce. It was it was glorious and disgusting at the same time. (laughs) I don't know if glorious ever ever should be involved in that story. But think about it. Like how many pounds of food do you think that was that we got for 15 bucks and you guys, we, we left all kinds of condiments at your house, which your wife loves condiments. So we really, I mean, it was a win, win, win for everyone. Well, I'm sitting at the scene of the crime and the stack of condiments is still sitting right where we left them. Okay. So no, we need to talk to your (laughs) wife about cleaning. Okay. (laughs) 
Uh, <laughs> so we could do that sometime. But uh, So yeah, to recap for everyone listening, we had a couple other food challenges. So Luke and Adam did the, I believe, what, 10 burgers between the two of them in like half an hour or something like that, which we thought was pretty weak. Um, the hot dog challenge that I... The burger challenge had something else with it, didn't they? Didn't they have to eat like 10 burgers and do something? Wasn't there another food item in there? Was there nuggets with it or fries with it? I, I don't yeah, remember exactly what it was. Yeah, there might have There was something else with it. But then the hot dog challenge went way less uh, less than they expected. It It didn't go well, I don't think. Yeah, whatever the under over was, it definitely hit the under. So... This is uh this is a chance for all of our fans out there, you know, give us a challenge. We will I'm not saying we'll do it, but we do have a couple fat kids on the podcast that will eat anything. So, um I'm not even talking about Joey cuz he won't eat anything. He's a picky ass eater. So, I'm not even sure if he's still around. Yeah, he was supposed to be on tonight. He canceled. He's worthless. It's whatever. You know, that's my brother. Got to love him. Not that I do. Anyways, so I think that I mean that wraps up our food challenges. If you have any ideas, send them to us, opinionsanonymous.com or add opinions and on pod on your favorite social media. So Tony from Texas writes in to say that his town is now using cardboard cutouts of police officers posted on the side of the road to deter speeding. You can't believe that people fall for it. Do you think this would ever work on you, rookie? I bet it would. Because usually I'm going fast enough that a cardboard cutout would look realistic enough. Actually, I had this a similar scenario happen to me just yesterday driving home from work. You, you know how cops will sometimes park in the median and you know be ready for to grab people going down the interstate. There was a white suburban or Tahoe like cop looking SUV parked in the median. Like looked like it was about to get me, and I was not paying a bit of attention and went past him at a, an undisclosed speed. And come to find out, it was someone with a flat tire. It wasn't even a cop. I'm like, so I slowed down for nothing. Oh, that's what you get for speeding. But have you ever seen any? Uh, like, I'm trying to think. I think this reminds me of a movie where they tricked a bunch of people like this. Oh, you're not talking about Blazing Saddles, are you? <laughs> Oh yeah, um, no. When I when I read saw this email, I instantly thought of Blazing Saddles when they build the fake town to uh, to fool everyone that they're not in Rockridge or whatever. And they literally, if you see the picture that uh, Tony sent, like these are like cartoon cartoon cutouts. They're not even realistic looking. They, I mean, they're they're, they're pretty bad. Um, I'll have to uh, post a blog about it, but I, I would say that th- this would work on you, except for the fact that you drive slower than my grandma, and you yeah, it would not work on me. You know, you know how this, how you prevent that is just don't speed. Well, it's not like I go really fast; I just go kind of fast. Yeah, whatever. Let's go to the next email <laughs> or whatever you had. Okay, so <laughs> I hate you so much. Really, I thought that maybe if it was just one-on-one tonight, I wouldn't get as much shit. But Well, that... we've got a lot of things to talk about, and we, we don't want our listeners to use all their valuable time in a day to try to listen to us. So the last one wasn't an email to us, but I saw it today, and it's too funny not to share. 
So we may talk a little bit about the government shutdown later. So regardless of your side on this, this was pretty hilarious. So due to the government being shut down, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, uh, generally it's her job to invite the president to address Congress in a joint session for the annual State of the Union address. She wrote a letter to President Trump and said, you know, due to the government being closed, I request that we, you know, postpone this because of the lack of security, the lack of planning, et cetera, because government employees aren't there. So Trump, in typical Trump fashion, sent her this message today after all the news media talked about how this was a win for Nancy Pelosi and how she was sticking it to Trump. And the, I'm, I'm going to quote the message he sent here. Due to the shutdown, I'm sorry to inform you that your trip to Brussels, Egypt, and Afghanistan has been p- postponed. In light of the 800,000 great American workers not receiving pay, I'm sure you would agree that postponing this public relations event is totally appropriate. So she was, she was planning on taking this trip. And so for background, the White House is in charge of all military aircraft and all of that. So they were supposed to take her on this trip. So they're saying, don't do it. That's funny in itself, but the way he ends this letter is the best. Obviously, if you would like to make your journey by flying commercial, that would certainly be your prerogative. So everyone's up in arms saying, oh, who won up? Won up who? Who do you think the true winner of this back and forth is, Joe? See, I love this. I absolutely love this because it's like, I see you being a prick and I'm going to raise you being a prick. I mean, Trump wins it hands down. Yeah, I think you have to give this one to him, regardless of if you like the guy, dislike the guy, if you're Democrat, Republican. He, I mean, this is just, I mean, well, and it's typical Trump too, right? He's like, okay, so you throw a punch at me, I'm throwing a bigger punch back. And, but at the end of the day, we have arguably two of the most powerful people in the world squabbling back and forth by canceling each other's public events. I mean, you can't make this shit up. You really can't. No, this is similar to last week when you talked about that lady smearing fecal matter all over the park or whatever at a birth- before a birthday party. This would be like her then uh, going to eat a cheeseburger and not washing her hands and it tasted like shit. Yeah, it's like the, hey, I tried to fuck you over and I really fucked myself over. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, she asked for this. I don't, and again, it's, you can take whatever side you want on the, on the shutdown half half the people in the country think it's it's one side's uh fault and the other half think it's the other side and they both have arguments for it like but i think i think trump won this one because nancy made the first move and trump answered accordingly and i think it's awesome so i have to agree with you i think he definitely wins and but part of it isn't even just the letter or the content it's all of the uh, following that the media had on this. So when she sent this letter to Trump, I bet I saw six different headlines in, on CNN.com um, and uh, across other news art or news organizations just about how, you know, she's sticking it to him by asking him to postpone and all this stuff. And they were all this. And then like, I really think people thought that he was just going to take it and say, okay, that's fine. You know, we'll postpone and not punch back. I, I think that's what, that's what makes it so funny to me. Trump's an entertainer too. Like that's, that's what a lot of people like to see. Look at all the, uh, the famous people in the world. They're entertainers. And that's <laughs> Trump got his name from that too. Like, 
Now, granted, he's got bigger, bigger duties, but if you, you want to give me a chuckle along the way, and eh, I don't mind. If he doesn't actually do the State of the Union address, he'll just tweet the whole thing. Oh, absolutely. Well, and that's what. So she even said that uh, when she when she asked him to uh, delay it. And she was interviewed on one of the news stations. They asked her, well, what if he still wants to do it? And she said, well, he can do it from the Oval Office then. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see something come from the Oval Office, even if it's, you know, something stupid and completely unrelated. I guarantee we get something out of this. Oh, yeah, you're going to get something. Uh, Speaking of the President of the United States, he has a favorite pastime and that is golf at his many golf resorts Um, and this year the usga has announced a significant number of pretty major rule changes so today we're going to talk about those joe you want to kick us off on this uh yeah um there's a pretty good rule changes here um and for those of you uh that aren't really into golf or whatever i think the uh rest of our podcast is golf related so uh, you've already subscribed to the or either subscribed or downloaded this so we've got your number so you can just wait till next week if you uh if you're not into golf i mean to be fair you do have two episodes this week so you know go back and listen to the other one again or just figure out something to send us at opinions and on pod so take it away yeah but for all those people out there that are golfers interested in golf or just want to hear how dumb rookie and i can be We're going to start with uh, the first major rule change, and that is the lost ball rule on um, how long you have to look for a ball. It was five minutes. Now it's three minutes. I have to say I completely agree with that. Um, The reasoning behind this was if you can't find your ball in three minutes, probably not going to find it. What do you think of that, Rook? I I would even argue that in 90% of cases, three minutes is even too much. I mean – if you're in because one of two things either you you're in such deep shit that you're not going to find that ball and if you do you're not going to want to play it or you should be penalized by not watching where it goes so you're either in the shit where you're not going to want to be or you lost it in the open and you're not paying attention i mean i i i think 3 minutes is more than enough um i know one of the pet peeves of me, though, is like when this rule is not enforced, um, especially in tournaments. So you and I both played uh, tournaments when we were younger. I mean, what? Sorry, I showed up at tournaments and generally got last, but I never got asked to not come back. So I could have been that bad. You actually won a few times, but we, we both played in junior tournaments where they would cram, what, like 150 kids on 18 holes of golf? Yeah. And it would take forever. And then you'd have kids go out there and hit balls all over Hell's Half Acre, not have an idea where they are, and they'd look for them for 10, 15 minutes until a rules official would stop by. Then they'd be like, okay, well, now it's lost. Like, no, if you can't find it in five minutes, take your damn stroke, go back, and hit it again. When you first start looking, you think you're going to find it, so you don't even, like, for the first minute or two, you're not even, I guess for the first minute, you don't look to see what time it is or... I mean, you can't have a phone and how many people wear a watch anymore, so who can even really time this? I think really, I kind of agree with you. Like They probably have to put some sort of limit on how long you can look for it, but you walk up to it, kind of look around, maybe take a walk in a big circle around where you think it might be, and if once you start walking back over where you've already said, like, all right, it's lost, let's, let's get moving. One thing I would also like to see maybe a 
caveat to this. And I, I don't have the exact – I know on a lost ball, if you think it might be lost, I think you should be able to hit a provisional ball. Like if you hit it over like into a somewhat wooded area and you don't really know if you can find it, but it's not out of bounds. Because if it's out of bounds, you can hit a provisional. I think there should be something – whether you hit it into the water or you think it might be lost, I think you should be able to hit a provisional ball. Oh, I absolutely agree. And so I don't, I've never understood why you can't. Like, I, I mean, I get that it's the rule. You can't hit a provisional um, because once you hit a provisional for a water hazard, that's how you're replaying it and you can't do it for a lost ball. The only thing I could think is if, say, you you hit it way off to the off to the side and it's in a, in a wooded area there and you, you go ahead and hit a provisional ball, and you you pipe it right down the middle. So now you go over there and you and so you think it might be lost. Well, you're walking around, and then you get to thinking before before you even start looking for the ball. I guess you're like, well, it's going to be hard for me to punch out and then end up where I am, and that. So I'm not even going to look for it. I'm just going to go to the other one. I guess like so. I don't know. Or maybe it, it could be construed as you just want to get a practice swing in. Like you see the ball over there off to the side, but you're like, I really need to figure out my hook or my slice. So I'm just going to tee up another one and basically use that as a driving range. I would say one of those two reasons would be why it's, it's not. I don't know. I guess to me, it's, it's like, so why? I mean, I, I get that out of bounds is a black or white rule, right? You are either in bounds or out of bounds, but it's still the same thing. Like if you don't know it's out of bounds, you can hit another one. So, I mean, theoretically, if, they were doing it for the whole practice swing piece or whatever. If I hit towards the out of bounds and I'm like, ah, I'm really just not hitting my driver well today. I pr- I'm pretty sure that's in bounds, but I'm going to hit a provisional just so I can hit another one. I, I, I don't know. I think that that's one that I would be all for out of some of the changes that we're going to talk about. Um, that'd be one that I would actually like to see is you can hit a provisional whenever you believe that you need one. And I agree. In, in the in the spirit of pace of play, I think it helps a bunch. Um, another rule they made similar to that is um, this is left up to the local rule on the course, but they are. And I think this is those local rules actually trump any of the other USGA rules anyway. So I don't know why this is really news, but you can basically do a if you hit the ball out of bounds instead of going all the way back to the tee and teeing off, you can go wherever you think you went basically drop and take a two stroke penalty. So it's essentially the, the same, but it's instead of going back, hitting the ball out of bounds and maybe having to go all the way back to your bag to get a ball and then walk all the way back and hit it again. You can basically just, all right, this is about where I would have hit it, drop it, take a two shot penalty and and go on. Saves a lot of time. And you're probably going to be in about the same spot as if you would have went back and hit a tee shot again anyway. It kind of sounds like uh, they've just they've taken some of these rules from the old guys at North Branch. Like, eh, just throw one down. That's good, son. Like, in any sort of if there's any money or any prestige on a tournament, I don't think you like you would honor that rule. But I completely understand if it's a a relatively relaxed tournament or league or or kind of uh, friendly play. I I completely agree with that because you're already pissed off why why make everybody wait while you go back and and who knows where that shot's going to go from then yeah and and i mean because it doesn't even just slow down your group right so if you have a group behind you they now can't hit a tee shot they have to wait while you come back and hit and then come back and hit your second shot so yeah absolutely i i think that this one's a good one um but like you said you 
you couldn't really do it in a professional type setting because, you know, it's all based on judgment. So I could judge that my drive was going to be, you know, so far or whatever. Yeah, but there's even some rules like that in golf now. Like if my ball is on the green, you hit your shot up there and it hits mine. Now you and I have to go up there and agree on a spot to where my we put my ball back where it was. Like there's still some kind of gentleman's agreement there on where we think my ball was before you hit it. Gotcha. What else you got? Or I guess not that you have, but what else does USGA have up their sleeves this year? Um, the USGA they have a, well they have a, a shot clock on on shots was like 40 seconds. I think that's kind of I think that's been there. I don't know really know what they changed with that. Another one is when you drop or you're taking a drop, you used to always have to hold the ball shoulder height and drop it. Now you, uh, it's knee high, which at one point I thought that it just had to be an inch off the ground. But um, I guess they've made a, a compromise there and meant you're dropping it from your knee down. One of the reasons here was um, there's another pace of play thing. We're seeing a common theme with this. When you drop it from your shoulder, there's a lot more out like possible outcomes. So it's much more likely that your ball would land and and then roll or bounce out of like end up closer to the hole or end up outside the parameters where you're supposed to drop it. So then you have to redrop it. And honestly, there is some technique on how you drop it to get it to roll there because if it if you do it twice, that third time you get to place it. And if you're playing the ball down, that's a big advantage. So part of it is it's, it gives it less of a chance to be running at, running around where you have to drop it multiple times until you get it to sit where you need it to. Well, and this one is uh, – this isn't even the first time that the dropping a ball procedure has been changed. So it used to be, for anyone that's not familiar, it used to be you had to drop the ball by holding your arm over your shoulder and drop it behind your back so you couldn't see where you were dropping it. And the reason I know that is because – Oh, shout out Coach Stokes in high school. He had all of the uh, little animations that had that, that you could see where he whited out the people's arms and then drew them straight out where they would drop it in front of them. Shout out to Mr. Stokes. Stokesy. He's probably going to pop up as one of our listeners because he has a bad habit of popping up everywhere. That's true. Just out of nowhere. And it's only when you're pissed off. Yeah, and usually yelling something like, motherfucker, oh, hey, coach. All right, so uh, there's three more here, and I like all of these, and they they don't necessarily have anything to do with pace of play, but one of them is, actually, I think there's more. One of them is you can now fix anything on the green. Like, it used to just be you can only fix a ball mark. Couldn't fix a spike mark, but you can now fix, like, any blemish or disruption to the green, you can you can fix it now, which I don't know why it's taken so long for that to change. Like if there's a spike mark in your way or um, maybe some like larger stick or limb fell and made a gash in the green, like you can now fix that so that your ball will roll over it straight. Yeah, so this one I never I never understood that. Like so we're gonna sit here and argue whether or not this mark on this green was made by a ball or a spike or what it was made from. So I can decide whether I can fix it. And by the way, I can fix spike marks. I just can't fix them in my line. So like if I see a bunch of spike marks in your line, I could be nice and go fix them and there's no penalty. 
So yeah, this one I I think this is common sense. I don't know why it took this this long for that. But yeah, and I, I don't think I stated that clearly. Now, if it's in your line, you can fix that. Right. For all of our golf friends yeah. out there, it is proper etiquette to fix any and all marks you see on greens. So please <laughs> do so. Your local golf course will thank you. Yeah, and also while like on the green, the if your ball like accidentally moves when it's on the green, basically you just put it back and and go like. This this was made popular by Dustin Johnson. I think two years ago at the U.S. Open, had this situation happen, and it's like it was clearly like not intentionally that the ball moved. Like, let's just go on. Like, it it didn't create an advantage in any way. It, it just got. It was kind of a ticky tack rule there. Yeah, I, I again. I mean, I think it's one of those things where some of these rules are looking at them. It's like common sense, and especially for those people that might still be listening that aren't huge fans of golf. Um, you may be thinking some of these are just common sense. Like why couldn't you just fix stuff? And you know, if something gets, um, if, if it's blown by wind or whatever else, why can't I just put my ball back? Like, yeah, it's, it, it it's common sense to us now, but I guess there's all kinds of things in the world that make sense to people in the current day that we don't understand why people didn't know do in the past. So um, yeah, I agree with this one too. Yeah, and like another one, just the dumb ones and kind of caveat to the rule we said before that was you couldn't touch the green with your club or your hand in the line of your putt. Like, who even made that a rule? Like, I don't I Very ticky-tack stuff that I'm glad they're taking out. Yeah, like, I mean, I agree. Like, and I don't know if the intent of this was always, okay, so like let's say I'm putting on a either a soft green that I can make like – maybe push down with my putter like a little channel to get the ball to go to the hole or something. But I mean, if you're doing that, I think you have bigger issues. But yeah, the you can't... Because if you would want to uh, just go point to a spot in your line, and if you touched it with your putter, that was a penalty. And yeah. now that's not... So yeah, I, again, common sense to me. I, I think it's taken too long to change it, but hey, at least it's changed. Yeah. Um, and one, this one, this one might be my favorite rule change of, of the whole, of the whole list here. And that is, there's no longer a penalty for double hitting a ball. So what used to happen and like, this would happen more frequently on chips than any other shot. But so you chip the ball, it goes in the air. Well, most of the time it's a miss hit. So then you, you kind of chunk your club and it kind of jerks up and hits the ball again while it's in the air. Well, this used to be a you may have to help me with this, rookie. Was it a was it a you had to count that stroke. It was an extra was it a one-shot penalty then too? And then you had, and then you played it where it ended up or did you have to replace it? I believe you had to I I, I believe it was considered a two-stroke penalty and I'm probably going to get yelled at for this because I should know it, but I believe it was considered a two shot penalty because you had what was your intended shot. And then you had to count the second hit and then you had to take a penalty and play it from where it was, where it lied. So I think, I think, yeah, yeah it was essentially a two shot penalty and it, it, it always turned out to be a shitty shot. I've never seen anybody double hit a shot and it ended up good. Yeah. I, I mean, golf balls are intended to get hit once at a time. So that, that makes sense. So I love this rule because like I said, if, 
if you're double hitting the ball, it's already going to be a bad shot. Why are we going to add add two two shots to it? You're already in a worse situation than you were before. So is this the so if I'm looking at the the list right, um, is this the ball in motion accidentally deflected rule? I think so. I, I'm not looking at the actual. I'm looking at layman's terms so I can understand them. So so the way I read this, so um, it's the rule is a ball in motion accidentally deflected. So no penalty if your ball in motion is accidentally deflected by you, your equipment, or your caddy. So this also has further implications. So it used to be if you hit and the ball accidentally, like let's say I'm chipping at the green and I miss the green and I hit my bag sitting on the side of the green, that was a two-stroke penalty. Now there is no penalty for that, as long as it was accidental. Obviously, if I'm sitting my bag and putting a bunch of clubs behind the green so my ball doesn't run over, that's not accidental. But Yeah, I guess I didn't even think about that part of it, but yeah, sounds like that would be the case. But no one ever intentionally <laughs> tries to hit it twice, and you're not going to lay your clubs behind the hole. Like Anybody that allows you to do that, is a, like, if you ever let somebody you're playing with do that, then you have problems. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I, I think that's my favorite rule change of all of them. Um, there's there's two more I want to touch on here. There's one that um, it used to be that if your club was damaged in any way, like if your shaft was bent or something, you could not use it the rest of the round. So it, whether if maybe you're behind a tree and swung and your club got somewhat wrapped around the tree or you hit a bad shot and tried to break your club over your knee and it bent like no matter what like you could not use it the rest of the round if it was altered in any way now you can use it one of the parts of that rule that are is staying in effect is that if you break a if a club breaks like on a normal swing you can replace it like if you have a club in your car or um go to the clubhouse and buy a new one or whatever you can still do that and if it if your club is broken out of anger you cannot replace it so that um just a little caveat to that rule, but I think that's fine because, again, if for whatever reason you bend your sand wedge, but that's the club you love to chip with, like, more power to you. Like, you're not gaining an advantage by chipping with a bent sand wedge. Yeah, so so you're allowed – so so if I understand that right, you're allowed to use the damaged club. It used to you couldn't even use that. Correct, yeah. But you just can't replace it if you just got pissed off and broke it. So the couple of times that Joey's broken clubs, he wouldn't be able to replace them, but he could still use them like his floppy driver when we were playing. Yeah, that is true. And I like that you're doing that because had he joined the podcast, he could defend himself. But since he did not, they're going to take the audience going to take our word for it. Oh, what a dumbass. Anyways, <laughs> now there, there's one, the, there's a, what I think is a relatively big one. I think part of it was for pace of play is you now no longer have to remove the flag stick on putts. I want to get your take on what you think about, are you going to leave the flag stick in this year? Or are you going to take it out? Okay. So I, I actually feel very strongly about this one. I don't really think that I, I'm fine with taking away the two stroke penalty. I am because, because my thought is having the, pin in for most putts is more detrimental than it is, than it helps. The only time that it's going, that I believe it's going to help you is if you hit a putt so hellishly hard that you need it to hit something to stop, then you're hoping maybe it hits the flag and ba- and at least takes some of the speed off of it. But chances are, it's still not just going to drop in the hole. 
Now, before you, I mean, before you say it, yes, I know it is possible for it to hit the flag and drop in, but the chances of that are pretty slim. I mean, when you have the pin in the cup, and depending on, you know, what type of pin you have, but generally speaking, there's room, almost exactly room for a golf ball all the way around. So it has to be going the right speed to just drop in. And I, I don't know. I think there are some people that are going to leave the pin in just out of laziness. What I hope doesn't happen is that people start keeping the flag in and then they start going with the rule of, oh, I putted and it hit the pin, so I'm counting it. Well, you're never going to get that to fly like in any sort of sanctioned event. You're not like even in a even in a weekly league, you're not going to get that to fly. Like if you're out there playing by yourself, you can maybe comfort yourself with saying that, but. My opinion is that the pin makes absolute in the on the aggregate and in, in the whole scheme of things, the pin does not make a difference whether you make it or miss it. Now there are particular times, but I there are particular times that the pin helps you, and there are times that the pin doesn't help you or it actually hurts you. But I think those are almost a wash. I think if you hit the ball so hard that you need it to hit the pin to go, like if you hit it hard enough. It's going to hit the pin and bounce out. Just like if the pin was out, it's going to hit the back of the hole and pop up. I mean, a good putt's going to go in. I think where if you are just like an absolute beginner, and I'm not even talking about enough, like I, abs- just a beginner, like you have hardly ever played at all, you're probably going to benefit by from having the pin. But I really don't think it makes a bit of difference at all in the outcome of, of the putt. So therefore I'm fine with this rule. If anything, it it maybe speed up play a little bit where I think it may be interesting is on holes where you have blind approach shots, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to know if the group ahead of you is done because just because the flags in doesn't mean that the, the green is clear. I never even thought of that. So I think that that's about the only thing it changes for me where I, I'm not going to say I disagree with the rule because if you want to leave the flag in, like, I think that's your own prerogative. Like I know like good putters will probably still keep pulling it out because a lot of putting is feel and comfort and looking at that hole that still has the pin in it. I think, I think just looks funny. So I think, I think it'll take a while for that to actually catch on. There is an, there actually is another rule. And if you, do you have the actual rules in front of you that were changed? Yes. Because you can now move loose impediments in the bunker. Yes. You can now, if I understand this right, you can have your club. You can't actually ground your club when you're addressing a shot in a hazard. But you can, like, as you're walking around, I think you can, like, set your club down or, like, use it as, like, a walking stick or whatever. Like, you can still, like, club head hit the ground. But while you're addressing the ball, you still have to hover it above the ground. Right. So. You are allowed to touch the sand with a hand or a club, um, such as to allow a, to move uh, loose impediments and such, but you still can't, and they clarify in the official rule, you cannot deliberately touch the sand with a bunker hand in the bunker with a hand, club, rake, or other object to test the condition of the sand. So we still can't do that, and you can't touch the sand in the bunker with a club while making a practice swing or grounding the club right behind the ball. So, God. so, so the, the, and then it goes into the reasons. And so basically it says, you know, Hey, the 
purpose is so not so that way you like play a game of the floor is lava. It's so that way you don't you get a penalty for having to hit out of sand. So as long as you're still taking the the theory of that penalty, you shouldn't have to hit through stones or leaves or whatever else you find. You can move those. Yeah. And this also goes to anywhere on the course, but like if you're looking for a ball, whether it's in a hazard or anywhere on the course and like maybe it's under some leaves or in tall grass or something and it accidentally moves kind of going back to that Dustin Johnson thing, um, his situation with the ball moving on the green. If it accidentally moves when you're looking for the ball, it's not a penalty anymore. It used to be that like if I'm looking for my ball and my like I step close enough to it that it moves, that would be a penalty. I mean, they did away with that penalty. So, I mean, I like that one. I, I think all in all, these rule changes are, are good. A lot of them are to speed up pace of play and to just eliminate just the kind of dumb, pointless penalties. Because I feel like you should only get a penalty if there was, maybe not only, but the good majority of penalties are if you're gaining an advantage some way or if you've hit a ball where you're clearly not supposed to hit a ball, like then get a penalty. But the ones that they've, they've done a good job of fixing uh, to USGA and the RNA. I've done a good job of fixing these rules so that we're going to play faster and the scores are going to make more sense. The better golfer on that day should win. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, the last thing I'll say about it is there's, so when I went to Gongaware, I uh, went to golf camp. One of the things that we were we had to memorize while we were there were the three ways to play a yellow water hazard and the five ways to play a red water hazard and they've eliminated one of the five ways for the red penalty and that makes me sad because that would have been one less thing for me to remember which one did they eliminate so they eliminated the all right, all right, all right, all right, hold on here yeah so let me just see if i know off, all do you know all five so, so, okay let me so let me go your first option is to play the ball where it lies yes right yep um, you can take a stroke and re-hit. Yes. From where you where you previously hit. Yep. You can take two club lengths on the... Uh, you can take... Well, this one counts as two. You can take two club lengths on either side of the red, right? Right. Like you can... like. So if it's a creek running down the right side of the, of the fairway, you can get, take the point where it entered take two club lengths from there or go directly opposite and take two club lengths from that. So there's two of them, two different ones right there, right? Yeah. So you're saying your standard two club lengths um, on one side. On the left side, that would be one option. Or you could go on the other side of the creek and take two club lengths and that would be option number four, right? Right. Option number five is take the point that the ball entered the hazard. Keep that point between you and the hole and go back as far as you want in a straight line and drop it wherever you want. Good job. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so, and then the three of those for the yellow um, are all of those. You don't except, have a few options. Right. So, for red, they are actually eliminating the opposite side relief. So, you now do not have the, I forget, there's a fancy word for it, but you um, you have to I take like that. it. You have to take it on the side that it went in. Okay, I I like that rule because I think it, it just gives too much. I don't know. It's kind of a kind of a gray rule. Like like where you where you even start to like, where is that spot directly opposite? Right. Well, and then I mean, think about it. If you're 
if you're able to go on the other side of a water hazard to hit either that water hazard, I mean, generally it's either a creek that's running parallel with the fairway or a creek or a river. So you have to go back to find some sort of bridge to cross it, or it's going to be some sort of a pond, um, like a larger body of water that you're going to have to walk around. And either way, it's just slow. And yeah, the, to use your judgment to figure out where to go. It's just a pain in the ass. So no, I, I absolutely agree. And I mean, even in their rationale for removing it, it says, you know, it was a complicated option that many players weren't familiar with and that it was seldom used. So it's like, wh why even keep it if no one uses it? So, Yeah, and part of this, I guess this is a good chance for me to say, anybody who wants to play golf or does play golf, it is in your best interest to learn as many rules as you can because a lot of them are kind of obscure and any way you can get an advantage for yourself is worth it. And to not be taken advantage of by somebody else, so know your rules. They can be a big part of, they can really help your score if you, if you know all your options. Oh, absolutely. They can help you. Um, like in the instance of maybe like a cart path and getting relief from that or a manual man-made object, but also in times where it can, I mean, I guess still it helps you, but when you can penalize your opponent for things that they're not supposed to do. So whether they sign the wrong score on the card or, uh, maybe, you know, before some of these rules, maybe they fixed a ball or fixed spike mark or something like that. So yeah, I absolutely agree. Know your rules. I mean, that's with any sport. Know, know your rules before you play. Um, and it just makes it better for everyone. Yeah, I agree. And while we're on the golf uh, topic, I would like to reach out to any of our listeners that have good team name ideas. There's a handful of us that on this podcast that play in a golf league. I know, um, Rookie and I are on a team, and we like to switch our team up, team name up every year. So we would love to get your ideas on on a fun name. I mean, we're we're open to about anything. I mean, one year we were the Putt Pirates. <laughs> we may go back to that. I kind of liked it. Yeah, no one to get in front of us on the standings. That is, um, yeah. we were. Let's see. So in in our league, every team gets a number. And you can have a name and uh, on the schedule, it's just by number. And then you have to look up what the team name is. So la was it last year? We were, our team number was team number nine, but our team name was team eight, just to confuse the shit out of people. And it did confuse some people. It wasn't as funny as I thought it might be, but it did confuse some people. Uh, let's see. We've been rookies mistake. Uh... We were the sophomore slump our second year. Yep. Um, Last year we were the dead horses, and there was nobody that beat the dead horses. Except for, you know, the people that beat us in the playoffs. But Hey, hey, pipe down there. No one beat the dead horses. And uh, we have to say, you know, that one year we were Belder's seamless gutters when you and I played with Belder. Didn't oh, we? Wow. And then uh, what were we when we played uh, with – Greg Brown. Was that one of the rookies' mistakes? That was one. Of, I think we were the sophomore slump that year. Okay. Yeah, looking back. But we, then uh, Luke, Luke's team, Luke and um, they were – their dude, where's my par? Yes. And uh, Luke likes to call them the Trace Bogitos. Oh, yeah. They, they came up oh, yeah, with – Just to give me an idea of, of – see – we don't have much of a standard for a team name. Think of the dumb names we've had. So give us an idea. We could use a, use a little bit of an upgrade for our team name this year. Absolutely. 
the uh maybe we can get opinions anonymous to just sponsor us <laughs> i've seen our bank account it literally doesn't exist <laughs> so but yeah hit us up if you have any ideas we'll pick the best one that someone sends in so use your favorite social media or whatever else and get it to us so speaking of sports kyle is not here tonight um i'm sure he splattered his money shot on the other episode this week but just real quick we do have a big rivalry game coming in the state of indiana on saturday and although this podcast because luke takes forever to edit won't be posted until monday or tuesday uh we can go on record with saying what we think is going to happen so joe what do you think is going to happen between iu and purdue men's basketball on saturday i think there's going to be a lot of snow well, that's uh, we do live in Indiana, so that's good. What about the basketball game? <laughs> oh, I I mean, who knows? These two teams are so unpredictable. I I could see it being a fifteen point game either way, but with it being a rivalry game, I mean, it, I really think it'll be within five points. I don't even know. I don't know if the line's even out yet on it, but. I think it'll be close. I think it'll come down to the last couple minutes. I'm going to have to, if you're making me pick a side, I'm going to say Purdue by two and a half. Purdue by two and a half. Uh, is it, I I should know I'm this. not guessing the line. I'm just saying it's going to yeah. be probably two or three. I just, I just can't really pick one. I, I should know this, uh, but is it at Assembly Hall or is it at Mackey? It's at Mackey. Okay, so I'm also going to have to take Purdue. Um, but I'm, I'm a little more optimistic. I'm going to go with Purdue by seven and are we playing prices, right? Rules. So closest without going over. Can't go over. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so let's go boilers. Let's win by seven or more. And Joe, you can pay me. What, what are we going to bet on this? Are we, are we doing live betting right here? I, I, I like this. What are we going to bet? Um, I don't know. What do you, what do you want to bet? Like, you obviously have something up your sleeve. Oh, I can't say what I want on on the air. Um, let's let's just bet. I'll, I'll bet you. I'll bet you beer. So I'm sure I'll probably see you. I'm assuming you're. Are you gonna rate this beer that I buy you if if you lose? Um, or if you win? Well, I mean, I'll probably drink a beer regardless. It's just who's gonna pay for it. So sure, I'll rate it if you want. All right. Perfect. Well, that wraps up episode 13 of Opinions Anonymous. Want more? Check us out online at opinionsanonymous.com or on social media at opinionsanonpod. I'm Joe, and with me this week was Rookie. Until next time. Bye-bye. Wow, this whole doing podcast sober thing is for the birds. I'm gonna have to start drinking again. <laughs> uh, for for everyone worried, I I've not given up drinking. All right, do you have anything else? No, that's it. Do we for need me. anything for Luke's birthday? Oh, we can't. Happy birthday, Luke! By the way, if you're especially if you're doing this on Saturday. <laughs>